a complex world brimming with new ambitions, the best leaders create the best workplaces. This is the Oil & Gas Digital Doers podcast, where you can hear real stories about digital capabilities and a culture of empowerment with your host, Joanne Meyer. Welcome to the Oil & Gas Global Network's Digital Doers podcast. If this is your first time here, we're so glad that you decided to join in and listen into this conversation today. If you return, thank you so much for hitting all the right buttons on the keyboard so you could, you could join in with us today. I do want to start off by saying this is the Oil & Gas Global Network, which is the largest community of oil and gas podcasts in the world. And um, there's about 15. You've joined in to the Digital Doers, but check out some of the others as well. And you can do that on Apple Podcasts or OGGN.com. And also want to take a, a minute here and say thank you to HPE. HPE is our sponsor, so go check out their website, hpe.com. In particular, take a look at their new GreenLake plot platform, and they call that their edge-to-cloud platform. And their goal is to make it easy for you to have that premier, easy cloud experience um, wherever your data and apps may reside. So go take a look and see what you think about uh, the GreenLake platform. So we're, I'm really excited today. Um, I've, I've, he probably doesn't know this, but I've been hearing about him for a couple of years. And so I'm really excited uh, to finally have an opportunity to talk with Sudin Tu. Kashikar, but for the rest of this conversation, we're going to call him Cash. <laughs> so welcome. Glad, glad to be here. Thank you very much. I didn't realize you had been following me. I highly appreciate and I'm honored. No, no, I kind of have been stalking you, I think, but hopefully not nefariously, just... <laughs> no, it's, a, it's an honor. <laughs> so uh, Cash was recently, most recently, the CEO of Reveal Energy Services. He has more than 30 years' experience in solving technology and business challenges. Before joining Reveal in 2016, Cash served at Micro Seismic Incorporated and Celixa. If I saying that correctly, Celixa? That is correct. Uh, commercializing technology for optimizing the unconventional well completions. He also spent, prior to that, 20 years at Schlumberger, where he was leading technology, operations, and business development activities. So, welcome, Cash. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So, the other thing that uh, Cash and I just figured out is we both uh, are Sooners. And so, Cash, tell us what you did when you were at the University of Oklahoma. Sure. Uh, I came to OU to do my master's in petroleum engineering. I'm one of the very few individuals uh, who had an undergrad in petroleum from India. Um, I was looking at getting out of India, got, uh, got into OU, 
uh, and effectively pursued my master's at the uh, University of Oklahoma. Excellent, excellent. Always, always happy to run into another sooner anywhere, and particularly in the oil patch. So, so yes. really, really glad that uh, you had a good experience there. I, had I a also great experience. I yeah. had a great experience at excellent. OU. And, and I have my petroleum engineering degree from there as well, so uh, we have that in common. And so tell us, Cash, a little bit about how you ended up at Reveal, and then tell us a little bit about what that value proposition is. Sure. Um, so I'll give a brief version, and we can go into more details uh, maybe later on. Um, I was with Schlumberger for 20 years. I left Schlumberger in 2011 to really pursue uh, startups. Uh, I was always fascinated by them. So I spent a few years with Celixa and then with Microseismic. Uh, then in 2016, uh, Statoil, which is now known as Equinor, uh, had developed some new technology, uh, pretty very, very interesting, that could really change the entire diagnostic space. And they were looking to spin out that technology outside of Statoil as a private company uh, to bring it to market, to, to really accelerate the adoption of the technology and the growth of the technology. Um, and that's, I found myself uh, in, the, in the CEO role for that company in 2016 to take that technology out of Statoil into an independent company and then take it to the market, right? So that's, that's how I uh, landed up with Reveal. The technology was quite groundbreaking or is groundbreaking even today. And the idea was to have something that's uh, very simple, but that's very accurate, and that's very affordable uh, to get what we call integrated diagnostics and completions evaluation. So it was a step change from the previous generation of diagnostic technologies um, to help operators really understand what's impacting their completion performance and make changes or test various completion designs very, very quickly and very cost-effectively. Great, great. And um, there's, a, there's a few of uh, fracks, fractures that mm -hmm. go on in the completions of unconventional assets. I'm being a little facetious. Mm -hmm. I guess uh, mm -hmm. all of those wells uh, have to go through this process. Correct. Every every unconventional well is is fractured, uh, and so the question becomes: How do you uh, optimize and maximize the production uh, and minimize the cost uh, of that completion? Right. So, what are the parameters uh, that that can be tested, that can be changed uh, to make sure that you're getting the right completion that will give the maximum production from a given well? It will also minimize the interference you have with multiple wells when you're on a pad, uh, when you're trying to fracture multiple wells, which is, you know, which is really the common practice these days, uh, and also have, uh, have a positive impact, i.e. reduction of the, of the cost of the overall completion, right? So operators are struggling to juggle these three elements in terms of production, the cost of completion, and the interference between wells, and how do you optimize that process in a cost-efficient and a timely manner, right? And that's really uh, where we, we, we had some very unique technology uh, that's addressed a lot of those issues. And in the completions of these unconventional wells, uh, the frac job itself uh, is the predominant cost, I think. 
Correct, and, correct. Yeah. Uh, by far the frack, and then obviously the, the, the completion part. The drilling part used to be, they've become very, very efficient in drilling, so the drilling parts now become a smaller component of the overall cost. Uh, the biggest cost component of any well these days is still uh, the fracking and the completion, right? Okay. So anything we can do to improve that uh, and also have a positive impact in production is what the operators are looking it, for. Right, right. It's a good thing. Yeah. And so... Um, so tell us a little bit, where did you primarily use this technology? So, uh, like I said, we started uh, late 2016, um, and then within a couple of years, so this technology actually has been implemented in every unconventional basin in North America and Canada. So our focus was really unconventional basins. Uh, it works in any uh, shale-type shale rock, any very, very tight rock, um, so it's really independent of uh, whether it's in the Eagle Fair, the Permian, or the Bakken, or the Montney. Uh, the technology works equally well, uh, and, and it has been implemented in every single basin in uh, North America and Canada. Okay, great. So that's that's a lot. That's a lot of that, basins that, and a lot of That's wealth. a lot. Uh, over the course of uh, four, three, four years, um, we, have operate, we have worked with... Um, more than 60 customers, right? I can't give the exact numbers, but we have worked with a large, large range of customers from really small independents to the uh, very large companies uh, and many times with the same operators in different basins, right? Uh, okay. Right, so that's a that's a huge success. To have it was, it, absolutely, it was a huge success. I mean, the yeah. technology was, like I said, it was very novel. It's very, It was very, very different. Uh, so there were some interesting challenges early on um, just because how radical the technology was and how simple it was. Um, and the challenge with simplicity is it's, there's a lot of complexity hidden behind um, that, that, that takes some time for people to understand, to appreciate what it's doing, and to really understand the mechanisms of how it works and how it compares with the previous generation of technologies, right? But once you were able to overcome those hurdles, uh, the adoption was very, very rapid, uh, and, it, and it got deployed in every unconventional basin. And so the technology, if you can share that with us, mm -hmm. it has to do with predicting um, where the frack's going to go, or after the fact, it actually tells you where the frack went. No, so it was definitely not about predicting where the fracks went, okay. right? So there, you you have modeling tools, you have other other ways to try and model and forecast or predict where the fracks are going to go. Okay. Which is important. You need to have a model of that saying, if I pump so much fluid and so much propent and so many clusters, I should get a frack that's 600 feet long and 400 feet wide. Question is, how do you verify that? And that's where we came in, right? So our technology allowed, uh, uh, provided a way to actually quantify uh, the size and shape and, and various attributes of the fractures that were actually created. So now you can compare my model predicted X, this is what I actually got. What's the difference? What can I what can I do to either improve my models or improve my performance? So we provide a measurement of what actually happened in terms of the, the fracture dimensions and the fracture attributes in the ground, right? So then you can close the loop and improve your and models and exactly improve that model or maybe exactly. hopefully. Exactly. Yeah. Excellent. Exactly. Uh, so, yeah, okay. it was definitely not about uh, predicting, right? That's something okay. that we did not. Uh, there are okay. lots of other technologies that are available to do that. Okay, excellent. Um, and so tell me a little bit. You you spent 20 years with Schlumberger. 
doing a variety of things. And now you find yourself in 2016 in a startup. Mm-hmm. So what was different? What was the biggest, did you have a surprise about what, what, what you expected versus what you encountered? Oh my God, how much time do we have? <laughs> no, so uh, I was definitely expecting things to be different. Um, you know, Schlumberger was a big company, uh, global, you know, presence everywhere. There's not a customer on this planet who hasn't heard of work with Schlumberger, right? So there's a very interesting uh, background uh, that that provides. When you leave that and go to a startup, there are several things that are different. And while some I had expected, I probably underestimated the magnitude of each one of those uh, as I had to encounter and learn new skills. And some of the key ones are um, you don't really have the support network or the, even the intelligence, the market intelligence that you have when you work for a big company, whether it's Schlumberger or it, you know, it could be Halliburton or Baker or any of the other bigger companies, right? You really don't have the reach. You don't have the access to the market. And so when you pick up the phone and call someone saying, I'm with Reveal, particularly in 2016 and 17, when nobody knew who Reveal was, right? Um, it's an eye-opener of how, you know, how, how, much, how challenging it is to get an appointment with a customer that you never thought would be an issue when you were working for a bigger service company, right? So that was one, right? Just trying to get in front of customers uh, and, and building credibility as Reveal, not as an individual um, obviously, I knew a lot of people uh, during my years at Schlumberger, uh, but that credibility helps up to a point, right? You have to build credibility as reveal as to what is it that reveal is doing and why should they give their five minutes or an hour on having that discussion with myself or somebody else from reveal, right? So that was, uh, that was big. That was big, right? Really trying to figure out how do you, how do you articulate that and how do you present that to customers, um, so we can have those meaningful conversations with the customers, right? So that was that, that was one, right? The other part, uh, which I was expecting, which, I'm, which I actually look forward to, was really the ability to put on many hats, right? Uh, so when you're with a startup, irrespective of what your title is, um, you have to do a lot of things, right? So your title is there, uh, but you really have to put on a lot of hats, right? So I could put a marketing hat one day, a sales hat the other day, a finance hat the other day, a, a strategic hat the other day. And, and you really have to be able to juggle and mix those um, to make sure that the company succeeds, right? Okay, so that that fast switch mm-hmm. from one to the other. Correct. It's, it's, it's very fast. It's very fluid. Uh, you don't know what which hat you're going to wear in the morning or in the afternoon or in the evening, right? You might be wearing multiple hats in the span of same day um, and definitely across several days, several weeks, right? For me, that's the, that's, the, that's the really exciting part of being in a startup, right? That you do get to wear multiple hats. It's a challenge, uh, but it's something that, that really excites me, right? Be able to wear those hats and tackle different problems and bring a group of people, right? I mean, this... The exciting part is to be able to collaborate with my management team and with the people we work and use that collaboration, build that teamwork, want to really make decisions very quickly uh, and keeping the customer as the focus of everything we do, right? So uh, it allows uh, the, the speed and, and at, at which innovation can happen uh, can't really happen in a big organization, right? Okay. And I, I, I'll make an assumption here, Cash, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. But I assume your 
strengths and your skill set were a little more narrow than perhaps what you actually had to use with this broader span? Uh, yeah, yes and no, right? I mean, there are different skill sets you need in a startup. Uh, you know, when you're in a big company, you know, you, you're given a job. Let's say you're in a sales manager or a marketing manager, an operations manager, right? So it's a very well-defined. Uh, and yes, you do wear different hats within that. Uh, but at, at the very basic level, the skill sets are really not that different. It's really, can you listen to your customer? Do you really understand what your customers want? Uh, can you build a team and get the team to work as one one unit? And then can we deliver on what we told the customers we are going to deliver, right? So it doesn't matter whether you're with a big company or a small company or a startup, uh, those elements don't really change, right? And as long as you can harness those three, uh, th those are skill sets that are useful, doesn't matter what job, what title you have. <clears throat> So I think that's right. That's a great way of thinking about it and, and, and great simplification. When we talked earlier, mm -hmm. you mentioned to me about a, a time, perhaps uh, a couple of years after Reveal uh, started, when it became really important to listen to their, your customers. Not that it wasn't important mm -hmm. from the beginning, mm -hmm. but uh, it became increasingly more so. Mm -hmm. Would you share that uh, story? Sure. sure. So I'll, I'll, yes, uh, certainly. And it has to do with late 2019, early 2020, when, you know, obviously the, the market conditions changed. We had COVID and then the oil prices crashed and the market changed quite a bit, right? Uh, so between, you know, December of 2019 and March or April of 2020, the number of wells that were being fracked dropped by 70% or somewhere in that range, or they're expected to drop uh, within the first half of 2020. And at that point, a lot of customers were really stopping their drilling and fracking operations. They were cutting, cutting back. And as a small company, it didn't, doesn't really matter how much market share you have. When customers stop fracking, you, know, you lose business. So the question then becomes, what do we do? What do we do as a company, right? And there are two different paths we can take, right? One was to respond in kind. There's a drop in drop in demand for whatever reason. We reduce the size of the company to fit the current demand, uh, hopefully survive uh, the downturn. And when things pick up, you start growing the company again, right? So that's that's a path that many, many companies uh, took through the downturn, right? The other part was to challenge saying, Let's understand what, how the customers are responding to it and what are they do, going to do, right? So we uh, did some soul searching and really reached out to a whole bunch of customers and asked some very simple questions, right? Saying, okay, we know uh, you've cut back a little, but you've not fired every completion engineer you have. Uh, you're not fracking anymore. You're frack count, you know, you, have, you don't have any active frack, uh, uh, frack fleets. What are your engineers going to do for the next six months you know, when you plan on picking up uh, a potential frack fleet? And the answer was very, very consistent across all the operators, right? Didn't matter whether they were small operators or the very large ones. And the response was, we have collected a lot of data in the last two or three years, but we've just been too busy to really look back and analyze and understand what that data is telling us, right? So we are going to take this opportunity where we are not tracking any wells to really go back and look at the data and understand, and so that when we do have uh, you know, pick up and start fracking, we have really learned a lot from this, and we can implement a lot of those learnings uh, as our fracking programs begin, right? Uh, 
And we could have thought they're saying, this is great. There's an opportunity here. Maybe there's something we can help our customers with, right? But we went one step deeper saying, okay, so the engineers are going to take the data you already have and start looking and analyzing it. What are some of the challenges or the roadblocks they have in undertaking that process, right? I mean, what, 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 what's the one or two or three things that makes the life difficult or what are one or two things that are missing that would make the life a lot easier in undertaking the data analysis process? And that really gave us a lot of insight into uh, some of the challenges in terms of bringing the different data types in and doing the analysis. Uh, and we found a very interesting opportunity of addressing that, that need, if you will, right? So you basically listened to the customer and, and found out, well, you already knew what they weren't doing, which Correct. was mobilizing a bunch of frack f- fleets, right? Correct. But you listened to them to understand what they were going to do. And then you kind of created a new service, a new product. Correct. Correct. So we, we found out what their pain point was, right? Their pain point was they had a lot of data that they had to analyze. Um, and they didn't have all the right tools or the tools they had weren't really very efficient. And I'll give you an interesting example. Uh, when you start with historical data, let's say I've got data on a pad of eight wells that I've collected. The engineers were spending 70% of their time in just assembling and cleaning up that data before they could do any analysis at all. Right? So they were spending a ridiculously large amount in just in getting the data together, cleaning it up before they can start uh, doing doing any work with the data, right? Which meant so they, this was, let me just ask a quick question. This was data that wasn't just associated with the completion itself, but it was also data associated with the performance of the wells. Some of it was, yes. So it was a combination of completion data. So, But it also, um, in many cases, they had multiple diagnostics. So they had run pressure. They had run okay. microseismic. They had fiber. They had uh, treatment data. They had run tracers. And, Got it. Uh, they had data from lots of different sources. Okay. Um, or even the fracking data, right? You had Halliburton frack some wells and next year frack some wells. So you had frack data that came from different service companies. You had log data that came from three other companies. So it was a matter of pulling all that data in a consistent format uh, before they could just really start understanding what the data is telling them, right? Okay. And in, you know, so the the opportunity for us was, was that over the course of the three years leading up to that event, we had invested very heavily internally in really pushing our internal efficiencies, right? Um, so, for, uh, you know, we, we are very proud that in the entire time that Reveal, uh, we have never missed a deadline um, or the date we had given a customer. So we put a lot of effort into building tools to become very, very efficient with data handling, data analysis, data processes. We had built a lot of tools specifically to address the issues that customers facing because these were the same issue we had been struggling with over the last three years, right? We get data from multiple vendors, from multiple frack companies. We get data from different service providers. So these are the issues that we were very intimately familiar with. Um, so we saw an opportunity here to, to really take a lot of what we had built internally and package that into a really a new software or new platform that the customers then could use where they can reduce that time, the initial time in 
the data cleansing, the data aggregation, and spend most of their time saying, what's the data telling me, right? What are the insights uh, the data is providing me, right? So, uh, so that's that. So that's what we created a new software platform uh, for customers to use uh, to do their own internal analysis, if you will. Excellent. And so I, I interrupted you, so I want to be sure that the example that you were giving about the pad of eight wells, mm -hmm. did you tell us everything that you had wanted to tell us about that particular example? Because I interrupted you. Yeah, No, no, you didn't interrupt. No, so uh, the whole point here was you are drilling a pad and you, you have multiple wells. There are different types of data, different vendors on different wells. Uh, so it's really a challenge of pulling all that data together, right? And unfortunately, even today, there are no real standards in how this data is reported by different service companies, right? So the, one of the challenges we face as an industry, uh, industry is the, the formats, the, the structures in, the, in which the data is uh, provided to customers by every vendor is different. Um, I'll give you a very interesting example. Uh, you've got some data that's function of the, the actual depth of the well, right? So I've got, I don't, let's say pressure as a function of the depth of the well. The variable that's used for depth in all the data we've looked at, there are nine or 10 different ways companies use a different um, term for defining depth. So it's either depth or measured depth or DEPT or uh, MD or, uh, so even it's, it's, so knowing all the different variations that actually mean depth along yeah. the wellbore. Uh, and then you take that for every single variable, and there are probably 200 different measurements we take. Wow. Uh, and there are no standards, right? So uh, it becomes very challenging to put all this data together. And that's something that we really addressed with, uh, with our uh, platform, which we ended up calling ORCID. And you called it what? ORCID, as in the Orchid. flower. ORCID, ORCID, yeah. 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 <clears throat> so what's interesting about that is this common nomenclature or or mm -hmm. definition plagues the industry everywhere doesn't it and i assume correct. it probably plagues other industries as well correct it's yeah. not unique to completions it's not yeah. unique to oil and gas yeah. uh it's difficult it is difficult to standardize right i mean there are efforts ongoing there are several uh, industry efforts ongoing to try and standardize uh and and it, it will improve as as time progresses right the challenge always is when you're looking at historical data, the new standard don't go retroactive, right? They're not retroactive. So that's, yeah. it, it really becomes a challenge, right? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, I found at one point in, in my career, I worked in a company. And uh, actually, uh, Bob Palermo was one of the first podcast uh, mm -hmm. episodes that I did here on Digital Doers. And Bob and I worked at a company together in California. Mm -hmm. And uh, the company that we worked at, uh, was it brought together three different companies. Mm -hmm. And uh, what they found very early is all of the engineers in, in particular uh, couldn't understand the data they didn't know where to find it it's like Correct. you said uh, a metric was Correct. referenced three different ways by Correct. three different companies so Correct. what we found is even not from company to mm -hmm. company but mm -hmm. even within our own company Correct. they bob led a team or was integral for to a team that was called stop the madness because <laughs> yeah, <perfect. laughs> yeah they they recognized that until we as a company mm -hmm. 
had a common set of definitions. Uh, we, we we couldn't even communicate and work together very right. well. So. Certainly. I, I mean, and that's that's the first first challenge, right? How do you bring all the data together uh, so it's coherent, it's consistent, uh, it's gone through quality control, uh, and it it's so, so you, you want to create one standard of data, right? And then anybody can access that. The second challenge then becomes, which which is again very interesting, is, and I'm going to use pressure as an example, uh, but it goes beyond pressure. You know, we collect pressure as a diagnostic measurement. Uh, we have our own proprietary methods of how pressure can be used to understand fracture interactions and uh, the, the fracture efficiencies and so on. But many operators have developed their own techniques and own mathematical formulations of how they want to use pressure. They have, you know, they maybe li they like what we do or they, they have their own variation of that, their own version that they've developed internally that they want to keep proprietary. So the question then becomes, how do you enable them to take their proprietary models and apply that on any data set, right? So the other part that we did with the, with the software platform we were doing, uh, we provide the basic tools, but also provided the connectivity so that if they had written their own analysis in Python or whatever programming language they use, they could still continue using their own internal analysis using a software uh, as a way to bring all the data in use their own proprietary analysis on the data set and then store that data back into into the software. So again, you've got a common structure, you've got a common place, but all the data resides uh, and there's good traceability of who did what and what analysis was done to the data, right? Uh, which again, I think was a very, very important part of what customers were telling us, saying, yes, we love your proprietary algorithms, but we have our own and we are like our version better than your version, right? Um, and so we had to make sure that we, we listened to them and, and provided them with a mechanism that they could continue using and developing their own internal techniques, uh, you know, without getting too hung up on whether our technique was better than theirs or not. Right. Got it. Right. Right. So tell me a little bit. That was, uh, if I remember correctly, it was in 21 or no, early 2020, early 2020, early 2020, 20, yep. when ORCID was launched. So we launched, uh, we launched, we got official approval from a board to start working on ORCID uh, in uh, April of 2020. Um, and we, you know, hats off, this is where I really want to recognize everybody in Reveal, right? Uh, I mean, I, I'm taking the credit, but it's really, it's really not me. Uh, it's really everybody in the company, right? Uh, it, it was a it was a joint decision. We're discussing we, this here's an option. It comes with its own risks. Uh, we've never launched a commercial software, so there are things we don't know, things we we're going to have to learn. And we all said yes, let's do it. We are up for the challenge, right? So everybody in the company stepped up and saying let's do this. And so we went from uh, effectively a concept in March and April of 2020 to actually having a fully commercial version sold to a customer in January of 2021. So in nine months, we went from having a concept to a fully flushed out software, fully commercial software um, that a customer paid with the full software support and everything else that goes with providing software as a service, right? So uh, it was really a challenge that everybody in Reveal stepped up uh, and this would not have been possible if uh, really everybody hadn't bought into the vision and dedicated their, their lives to the software for nine months, right? Excellent. Excellent. <clears throat> and then Reveal, if I'm cutting to uh, mm -hmm. spoiler alert here, I guess, <laughs> but Reveal actually mm -hmm. was sold. Correct. In 
early 2022. Do I have my Correct. dates? In January right? of this year, right? In January of this year, we sold the company. Yeah. Okay. In January of 22, uh, we sold Reveal to Kappa. Okay. So congratulations. That's, Thank uh, you. I'm sure that was a, <laughs> that's obviously a big milestone. But in that mm-hmm. year, mm-hmm. from January of 21 to mm-hmm. January of 22, say a little bit, was there some traction around Orchid? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, without the traction, I doubt if we would have been able to actually sell the company wow. uh, in 2021, right? So we, we really have some good traction uh, from a range of customers. Uh, again, the, the feedback process of listening to customers and really listening to them as to what are the features, functionalities, tools that we should be building within the software, right? So we still had a services that we were doing, uh, but we really listened a lot to customers, uh, a lot of their feedback, actually. Uh, and I think that process continues even today, right? So that, was, so that really helped gain traction. Uh, but there was another element that was, that was really missing from a larger perspective, right? And that, that was part of the reason um, why we pursued a sale and why I'm, I'm really happy that we were able to uh, sell the company to Kappa. And it has to do with uh, taking the learnings that you have from completion and completion diagnostics and really being able to join them with what the production data is telling you, right? And, and this, is re- this is where Kappa has been, you know, they're, they're the world leaders. They've been around for 35 years. Uh, they're really, really good at uh, taking the production and pressure data and analyzing that to really understand uh, where production is coming from, right? Uh, so taking Reveal into Kappa provides some very interesting pathways for much better products that can integrate and much better analysis that can take what you've learned during fracking and what you've learned during production uh, and bring better answers to our customers, right? Right. Uh, Sounds like a nice compliment there. Uh, it's very, very complimentary, and I've, you know, I'm really excited uh, to see where Kappa takes this over the next few years, right? Excellent. Before we wrap up, I do want to say, when I went on the website and, and looked mm-hmm. around a little bit at uh, Reveal Energy, you know, in your relatively short uh, time, from mm-hmm. 2016 to 2022, um you received some, or Reveal, received some pretty prestigious kind of recognition. Um, yep. You might say just a little bit about those, and then sure. is there one or the other of those that you're perhaps most proud of? So I'll answer the last question first. I think I'm proud of all of them. Uh, I'm proud of, I'm not sure I'm proud of one more than the other. Uh, but, you know, uh, w- what the chose. Uh, in a short period, like you said, we won several awards. Uh, the first one was actually very early on in 2018. Uh, so at that time, Reveal was less than two years old or two years young. Um, and we actually won the uh, Hearts ENP uh, Meritorious Award for Engineering Innovation, right? Um, and that really encapsulated the culture that we had set within Reveal, right? Uh, and it was deliberate. And this, again, this is really where it's a team effort. Uh, it's not just me. It's all our management team and all the employees. Uh, we really put a lot of effort into building a, a culture which was very innovative. Uh, we that was you know that was one of our things. We really have to innovate. We have to challenge. We have to really listen to our customers. And to do that, you really have to be collaborative, right? So we really knock down any walls between different different groups or different people, right? So it's a very very collaborative. 
very, very innovative and very customer-centric culture that we were able to build within Revere, right? And so that actually allowed us to win that uh, the Hearts Award, like I said, within the first two years of the company. Uh, that went on, and again, we listened to customers. We kept introducing new products, if you will, um, as customers' challenges changed, right? As the fracking improved, suddenly there was a lot of concern about frack hits and well interferences. So we launched some products to help customers answer those. Um, and then, and then, then we won the best places to work uh, uh, to work award. And again, that goes back to really everybody working as a team and the, the collaborative uh, nature uh, of of culture that we were able to build. Right, and that's. It's not something one person can do. Uh, it's a team effort. Everybody has to work on it, uh, myself included, uh, to make sure that we are open. We are, you know, we we are focused on the two or three things that are important, right? Innovation, uh, customer service, uh, and collaboration, right? So we kept repeating that, and and that really led us to uh, the best places to work uh, award from Houston Business Journal. And then as we continued progressing, uh, when we transitioned to Orchid. Um, we were actually awarded. Uh, we actually won the World Oil uh, World Oil Awards uh, for uh, uh, for that for that platform. Right? Uh, it was unique. It was recognized by World Oil. Uh, and again, that. Uh, so I'm I'm proud of all of them. They all uh, for different reasons. Um, but it's it's uh, really proud to be part of that group of people uh, that made this possible. Right? Uh, so while you're talking to me, this is this really was a group effort. Right? This is not. Uh, what any single person could ever do, right? Well, that comes through, Cash, that you you recognize, rightfully so, like you say, that uh, it would have been pretty hard uh, for Cash to have done all of this on his Correct. own. Correct. I mean, nobody should believe me if I said I did all of this, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but this is same, really, I mean, I think, yeah, go ahead. At the same time, a lot of this goodness, if you will, mm -hmm. comes from um, the message that's coming from the very top. So oh, absolutely it does. I mean, I, I, I completely agree with that, right? Uh, but you have to get buy-in from everybody, right? Uh, you know, so my my role is to work with the management team to, one, like I said, to really very early on define what type of culture do we want to build within Reveal, uh, and then and. What strategies? How do we respond? Uh, and make sure that I'm, I can, I can lead them, right? I can guide them. I can inspire people to do that, right? Uh, and I, I think I, I, I did a decent job with that. Uh, well, it sounds like you did, and it sounds like it's not just my opinion, but folks like the Houston Business Journal and World Oil and Heart CNP. So, congratulations! Thank you. It was very you. exciting to hear a little more about uh, what Reveal did. Like I said, I've I've heard a little bit kind of on the periphery, but I didn't know exactly, and I knew very little or nothing about Orchid. So, mm -hmm. uh, those are both very exciting. I appreciate your time today, Cash, for uh, uh, helping us all understand that and, and also um, not only the technology, but also about culture and being an entrepreneur. <laughs> thank you. Um, thank you. I no, Thanks for the opportunity. I definitely enjoyed speaking with you. And I hope uh, your viewers get something useful out of it, right? So okay. thank you well, very much. I appreciate it. I expect it. that that's, that's the case. And so uh, we're going to wrap this up now and uh, say thank you again to Cash. And also thank you again 
to our sponsor, HPE. Uh, like I said, go take a look at HPE.com. Take a look at their new Green Lake platform. They uh, want to simplify your AT, IT management. Um, so go take a look and uh, come back and catch us on the next episode. And uh, so until then, so long. So long, Cash, and so long, listeners. Thank you. Enjoyed it. Come back next week for another venture into the real world of the best digital doers in the oil and gas industry. A production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.